Aloha, everyone. I'm your host, Christina Laney-Mitri, and welcome to Smart Living Hawaii's podcast, where we cover and discuss smart homes and technology, sustainability, healthy lifestyles, and smart business. Today, we'll continue our Sustainable Leader series and have a talk story with Lauren Roth-Vanu and dive deeper into Hawaii's fresh water and how we, as a state, manage our precious resource. From stormwater runoff to irrigation, quality of water to green infrastructure, there is so much to learn about Hawaii's water system, our history, our current situation, and how people like Lauren are solving the problems we unknowingly created over time. Um, Aloha, Lauren. Aloha, good morning. Thank you so much for joining us today. And I would like to begin with a little bit on Lauren and her quick bio here. Let's see, we have Lauren is a passionate person about developing strategic innovative solutions to build water resiliency. As the founding principal of Roth Ecological Design International LLC, Lauren strives to bridge her background in ecological design, the water sciences and policy to elevate site design by maximizing on-site water conservation, reuse and stormwater recharge, practices that meet the triple bottom line. Her education background includes BA, a BA in environmental science with a specialty in water from the University of Colorado at, at Boulder, a master of science in oceanography from the University of Hawaii at Manoa, and a graduate of the proper.net leadership program from the United Nations University East West Center and is a fellow of the 2015 Water Leadership Institute, um, Water Environment Federation. Lauren is a frequent lecturer and published author on ecological design and green infrastructure. She also has served on a variety of public service roles for the state of Hawaii and the city and county of Honolulu. Last but not least um, is her recent technology company we will later discuss, which is R3R R Water. So she'll be able to explain that a little bit more in detail soon, but let's dive in. So thank you so very much for being here. I always like to start off with your background. Where are you from and what brought you to Hawaii? Oh, well, thank you so much for that um, introduction, Christina, and for the question and inviting me here today. Um, so yeah, so my background is, is mixed. I basically grew up mostly on the East Coast in North Carolina. Um, as you noted in my biography, I landed at, in the University of Colorado at Boulder, straight out of uh, high school there. And then actually what really inspired me was when I was at Boulder, um, as many people I think would appreciate or understand who go through environmental science programs, is that you learn about all the problems of the world, but no one telling you any solutions on actually how to fix them. And so when I was at Boulder, um, my brother was actually in the film industry and was doing a, a documentary on the Lindbergh family, um, you know, the Charles Lindbergh first in flight. And their family gives an award to someone who betters technology and science every year. Um, and that, what, that award was given to a man named John Todd, and he is an inventor of what's called the living machine. Um, so they went to the award ceremony. They said, Lauren, you have to meet this guy. He basically invented technology that's nature-based and can clean water. And that was my first introduction to green infrastructure and nature-based solutions and technology format. So I got shipped to Vermont um, and, and he was also based out of Cape Cod right after that. And then our late center in Noy actually earmarked the technology through um, when it was Pictor at the time. Now it, it metamorphized and became energy accelerator and later now it's elemental, but the original kind of um, incubator was called Pictor. And they brought in the technology to the state in 2000, and I was shipped in to Hawaii with that program. So that's how I landed here now, 20, almost 22 years ago. So that's the element, um, the, is it this elemental accelerator of the, that's kind of like the group that looks at a whole bunch of different businesses that are starting up, like startups, right? Yeah, so basically the energy um, accelerator um, was before, before it became elemental and it was a program under Pictor, um, which is like a quasi, um, I believe it had Department of Defense money. It also included some of the private sector as well as the state. Um, and then, so one of the initial programs was energy, the energy accelerator. And then that was then uh, got taken over by a new entity 
and then moved it to what's called Elemental Accelerator, which they yeah, basically work at, you know, select companies and different um, aspects of sustainability that are all startups mm -hmm. and then promote those types of technologies across the state. And then the funding from that comes from where again? Do you know? um, with Elemental now, they have investors. It's, it's mostly, um, it's, they're out of the Bay Area now, mostly. So they have, you know, Bay Area investors that uh, fund that program. Um, back when it was Pictor, when we came though, it was, it was grant money. And so, and again, I think that money was funneled between um, some of the Depart Department of Defense as well as uh, the state to fund these technologies that, that they want to come that, that they brought in to pilot at the time. Awesome. So that is a, a good description of what brought you here. So I always like to ask the fun question of what do you do for fun here in Hawaii? Oh, well, when, when in Hawaii, you must enjoy the ocean. I mean, I guess as a water uh, professional, I also enjoy being in the water. So in my free time, certainly surfing, swimming. Um, being outdoors, hiking, um, those are those are all my my favorite um, free time activities when I get them these days. And then family wise, are you here with family or is everybody back home? <laughs> well, well, yeah, so I am married. Um, I, have, I actually, um, I guess, did a long line for meeting my husband. He's from New Zealand. Oh, so wow. he's Polynesian, but he's um, he's here with me in Hawaii. So we have family all around, all around the globe, really. So um, not only is his family mostly in New Zealand, he has a brother in Sydney and one in Montreal. And then I have, they're all in the Bay Area. My, my mom's still being in the Carolinas. So we are a little scattered, but so it is, it is the two of us and our little dog, Leia. Um, and she's a little Maltese mix. She's our, um, she, she, keeps, she keeps everyone sane in the office. So how has it been during COVID? Have you been able to, has he been able to visit any family? I mean, aren't they? Yeah, no, unfortunately. Yeah, unfortunately not. We were, we were fortunate to have um, gone back to New Zealand just prior to when COVID happened in February of 2020. So wow. luckily okay. we did get a, a visit in with them, but they are still locked down. And um, I, I, I know I wouldn't be able to go he, as a citizen could go, but then they have people set up in state-run facilities for 14 days. So wow. yeah. that's too bad, but I'm glad that you were able to visit right before. Well, yeah. jumping right in, um, I think you've covered why you're doing what you do um, and how you got there. Um, I always like to ask that question about, you know, how what entered you into the sustainable world because we focus on just sustainable leaders across Hawaii. Um, but let's talk more about what you do and um, how your company service um, Hawaii in the sustainable sector, specifically on water. Um, maybe you could explain your two companies real quick, and I'm sure that we will dive a little deeper into those companies as we explain some of the, I guess, hurdles or maybe problems that we face and then how you're providing solutions for them. Great. Yeah, sure. So. So Roth Ecological Design um, is our design, design consultancy company. So I am the founder. Um, we specialize in what, what I call integrated water resource management, uh, which is as you described in the biography is looking at um, different properties for the ability to do first number one water conservation and then strategize how to manage water on site from non-possible sources from things like gray water, storm water, treating black water on site, recycled water. And we work mostly with commercial um, institutional, um, you know, government, you know, agencies for their uh, for their properties. Um, we do have done some residential, but most of it would have to be on a neighborhood scale. We don't necessarily always work on an individual um, private property. Um, and then three R Water is my my new little baby that basically came out of. Um, so I often get hired to uh, go into commercial properties and audit them for to identify opportunities where they could meet, they could implement things like. Um, green stormwater infrastructure, that's things like rain gardens, green roofs, permeable pavement, rainwater harvesting. And I had a, a, a client with, that has a large land across the state, and I was tasked to be able to go identify, you know, where to put in these retrofits. And I quickly realized that we would have to take photos, come back into the office, use some GIS for CAD, and then do some modeling and then output um, solutions for these properties. 
So I thought to myself, why could what, what could we do to maybe put this all in a single app to make these decisions really quickly and basically have a consultant like myself in a, in a software? And so that's, that was the birth of 3R Water, which is my startup company. Um, and it's metamorphized over the years, but we were lucky to get funding from the State of Hawaii Water Security Advisory Group and Hawaii Community Foundation uh, to build the first version. And now we're working with the city and county of Honolulu uh, to have the app be a community engagement tool to support uh, their green infrastructure program and future stormwater utility. Wow. So I know that you said a lot um, yeah, of things that might have been over a lot of our listeners ear, I mean, heads like just, whew, you know, and so my goal is to start from the basics and um, hopefully it'll explain a little bit more about what you just said sure. <laughs> for Sorry. those that are, that are new to um, this it. area. So because our listeners, some of them may be, you know, heavily into environment or heavily into energy or heavily into farming and, um, then they do listen in and know nothing about another sector, a sustainable sector. So it's um, sometimes it's a 101, a, you know, green to green on these things first. And then I do like to dive deeper where someone who maybe knows a lot about this can actually still learn as well. So what I'd like to start off with is, let's see, I've recently done a podcast with Vi and they're focused on wastewater management as in uh their cesspools and septic tanks and, and whatnot. And um, I was introduced to you by someone, um, another friend who thought that your work would tie in nicely with um, that. It probably would have been better for you to be first, <laughs> um, but um, it could be you know an add-on to um, the water system in general. So uh, many don't know where our water comes from. So maybe we can start with that. I think- okay. There's a lot of things that are out of sight, out of mind. They turn on the faucet and it's there, right? <laughs> Absolutely. No, that's that's a very important point. And I mean, you're right. I think we take a lot of things for granted, water being one of them. Um, but yeah, so in Hawaii, mostly on Oahu, um, when, when the rain falls, uh, typically our forests are what traps the rain clouds. And so the rain will fall and then essentially get down into the ground eventually um, and go into what, what are called aquifers. Um, those are basically large um, underground, um, you know, geologically um, designed, you know, not designed, but geologic systems that hold hold water. And so what then happens is then the Board of Water Supply will then go out and have to dig wells to withdraw that water from the aquifer and then distribute it um, across the island. Um, but that's the basic underground system in places like Maui and other outer island situations they haven't necessarily, they don't necessarily have as much underlying groundwater resources that they've tapped into and will often rely on what's called surface water. Um, so they'll essentially capture that water coming down off the mountain and put it in a big reservoir. And then that would require additional treatment before it then goes into distribution pipes. But we're really fortunate on Oahu to have really good clean water um, that is you know, coming from the ground. So it typically takes about 30 plus years from the drop when it falls on the ground to reach that aquifer. And I mean, is there a certain amount of aquifers that we have that we tap into on island and that's depending on where they're located is how it services the island? Exactly, yeah. So the largest one is the Pearl Harbor aquifer that's, that's under central Oahu. Um, so that's the that's a, the largest one across this island, and then there are other aquifers as well. Um, like you said, depending on where you're located, that will get drawn from. Let's say we are in a drought, or let's say less water is actually able to get back into the ground in certain those of those smaller aquifers. What the Board of Water Supply ends up having to do is supplement from the main aquifer, from the from the Pearl, Pearl Harbor aquifer, and then pump that water even a further distance. So. That's why it's really important to think about the, why they promote water conservation. And, and later we can talk about um, you know, why it's important to get rainwater back into the ground in these different areas, because there's a, a cost and a burden to be able to pump water a very long distance to, to create that supplemental supply. So on, I, I mean, I didn't know this, but on the neighbor islands, as you mentioned, they actually haven't drilled down to for wells. So it's not that 
that they don't have water, it's that they haven't actually tapped into the water. Is that correct? Well, they, they do, they'll have underground wells, um, like they'll have aquifers that they tap into, but they'll also in certain areas like upcountry Maui, for example, uh, relies mostly on surface water. So it just as depends on where you're located on those islands from the, where your water is coming from. Um, just on Oahu alone, we generally speaking, um, almost 100% of our water comes from underground supply. Okay. And that's why our water tastes so good when you're drinking it out of the faucet. Not that everybody does, but I do remember when I was real little, and this is like our first trip to the mainland. <laughs> um, we, we are just used to drinking out of the water, you know, the water hose mm -hmm. or whatever, you know, and we never had filtered water. I mean, this is like, you know, 34 years ago. And, um, we got off the airplane and I went to drink the water at the water fountain. And I was like, Oh, it tastes so gross. Yeah. Um, no. So ever since when that, that happened and we knew we would try all of the water fountains and realize like the water is just, it tastes like chlorine or like chemicals. Right. So is it that we don't have as much treatment in our water is why it doesn't taste um, so bad. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's that's exactly right. So, I mean, generally speaking, our water quality is some of the best in the world. Um, and we do have some incidences that have happened and we do have some concerns that come up with, um, you know, around the Pearl Harbor um, aquifer issue. But that being said, you know, that supply, because it comes, it has all that filtration process, that natural filtration as it goes through the rock, the soil and the rock and all that time. Um, by the time it gets to that storage, it, it's it's clean. And so when we when they pump it out, as you're mentioning, that um, otherwise would be needed, especially if you're taking it from surface supply, where you might have more contact with bacteria, for example, like if an animal comes around or a bird poops, or for example, you have to have more treatment. So um, when we refer to water tables, is that what an aquifer is? Or is that something different? Um, yeah, you can think of it as a, as a water table. I mean, basically, it's a, it's a what's called groundwater. So groundwater kind of is the bigger umbrella of water that's under the ground. And then there's different, um, a, a water table technically is, is, is a storage area of water. And then an aquifer is a, is a much larger um, water. Um, sorry for if there's a little bit of glitches, I think, um, you know, in and out of service or whatnot, but just to let everybody know if they're listening in, um, I might have to ask you to repeat yourself because I think a little bit's choppy, so I don't know. Um, but just if I ask you to just say that one more time, it's just because of that. <laughs> oh, sure, yeah. And um, I can just say it real quickly. So the aquifer, I mean, basically a water table is a type of groundwater supply that you can tap into and aquifer is just a much larger storage underground. Um, so they are similar. So we had uh, a listing, actually it sold before we listed, but it had like a natural spring. Um, and then that just coming out of the, the ground at this point on, on this property. Um, could you explain how that, how that relays to, I guess, you know, I, it's just coming up out without having to, yeah. Yeah, I mean, so you're basically almost talking about the water cycle at this point. So, you know, when it rains, it, it, hits, it hits the ground, right? And the, and the plants in the forest does a really good job of, of capturing the rain filtering it, getting it into the ground. And then actually the roots of the trees actually help create channels for that water to actually flow down into the ground. And then what will happen is some of that water will, will actually come back up, depending on the geology, come back up as a, as a spring. And most of our streams um, are basically spring fed. They're, they're all springs. So when we are sucking too much water out of the ground, we can see our, our, our streams and rivers dry up, for example. Um, so, um, so yes, the spring can pop up in many places, um, but it's just a, a place in the underlying geology where the groundwater is coming back up to the surface. There's, um, we do a cleanup, our Eco Rotary Club of Kakako. Uh, we have a cleanup um, on Pearl Harbor. So there's a like, um, I don't know, I almost feel like all the streamlines that come down, there's, um, places some of them say like it's a natural spring I guess and they're they're mm -hmm. from like basically the ahupua'a that comes down um from the mountain down and they're all of these streams and the and we help and work with the city and county for the cleanup of 
of them with the um, storm water division, mm -hmm. I guess, right? Yep. So um, mm -hmm. anyhow, we will dive into ways to contribute as a community later, but I just wanted everybody to kind of have an overarching view of our water system and how it works. And um, maybe you can now talk about the history, mostly our island because of how much concrete is here, the canals that were created, um, you know, things like that, um, man-made, right? That um, have affected our system, our natural system. Yeah. Right, no, that's, a, and that's a really important point as we kind of, kind of build up to what everyone can do, because of course, over the last decades, not Honolulu is not alone. Everywhere around the world, urbanization has increased. So with more and more people and, and more people living in cities, that means that cities are growing. And as that's happened, we've now um, you know, basically removed those natural systems. When we talk about that water cycle, you know, for example, those forests and the other uh, living things that help bring water um, down and into the ground, we've now put you know, concrete of roads and parking lots and roofs and all kinds of other um, what's what are called impervious surfaces, um, meaning when it rains, the water can't get into the ground. And when what that does is it, it disrupts the, that water cycle. So instead of it getting back into the ground and um, supplying those underlying groundwater resources, it's now what it's running off. So it runs down the road. It comes off. Let's say it's your private home. It'll come. We'll typically have a roof with a downspout, and then that might be directed down your driveway, and then it goes down the driveway, and then down the road, and then into a storm drain. Storm drain then connects it to the stream and then the stream outputs it to the ocean. So there's no chance for it in that flow pathway to actually get back into the ground. And so the other issue with that is, so when it rains, number one, we're losing trillions of gallons of what could be future drinking water supply, the sewer system. And number two, um, when you start, lots of water starts getting together, it, it has the ability to pick up a lot of pollution. And so you'll, it'll typically be carrying things like plastics and um, leaf debris. And people sometimes ask, well, why is leaf debris a problem? Well, that also has a lot of nutrients in it. And so that can later cause algal blooms, for example, in the ocean when it also can carry you know, fertilizers and pesticides and all of the things around our house that you know, we may or may Oil not- Oil from our cars and- <laughs> From our cars, from- Unfortunately, we have still a lot of lead-based paint chips on the ground, and you know all of this stuff, you know, basically gets flushed out um, and moves into our oceans and all, into our streams, and then ultimately our oceans. And that can, you know, it's a system, so it definitely can then cause problems um, to the the ecological systems of of the stream and, and of course our our reef ecology. So, um, so yeah, so so really with stormwater and really with going back to the increase urbanization. Um, we have now basically removed our natural systems that would otherwise harness that, that rainwater, filter it, get it back into the ground, and support future supply. So that's one driving concern with, um, with our city and with our board of water, um, making sure we have enough future supply um, with the urbanization we've already created. Um, and then number two is the, is the pollution aspects of it as well. So because of more urbanization, um, there has been more channelization in our streams, right? So then what's happened is water became moved from a resource to a liability. So if you, they didn't want to have these streams flood, so they decided to channel, channelize them, um, which is just, this is a, mostly Army Corps would come in and hard, create concrete streams that I'm sure most people have seen. Um, and what that does is, um, it, because it's not connected to the underlying springs, because it's as a, concrete, um, it actually, they can run dry. And so then this, the ecology that might have once lived in those streams also then doesn't have a place to live. Um, so you hear, we hear the stories of the opu, for example. You know, these were fishes that would be out in the coastal waters and would migrate up and climb literally up the streams to the mountain waters we've disrupted that through things like channelization of our streams. Um, the other aspect of channelizing streams is that then we don't have the ability to actually slow the water down. Most streams have a meandering pathway mm -hmm. and that meandering pathway actually kind of helps slow the velocity to like, you know, set, settle out some of the sediment, allow what, you know, plants to grow on the banks. 
And because we've straight lined it, it's just going out so fast that there's no ability for the streams to provide any buffer for um, uh, pollution, you know, for filtering out the pollutants that are in the water. Um, so basically, we kind of are running up a double-edged sword right now because we need, on some level, you know, the way we've developed, we need to be able to move water out because otherwise it be, would be a lot of flooding. But the other aspect of it now is how do we go back into the urbanized areas, peel back our concrete, and create pockets of what um, are called, you know, distributed stormwater management. So basically, that means creating little sponge pockets around the city that um, are nature-based and can also, you know, basically um, restore what was once there, but in a in a smaller strategic way. Um, so that might have been more than what you asked for, but that's. Well, I that's think it's a great explanation of, um, I guess. You know, they were trying to solve problems back then, you know, flooding through homes and building buildings and marshlands that have been now where skyscrapers are, right? And so um, that also produced and created additional problems that we face today and in our future. So having to work with what we have today and how we can solve these problems, I think is is kind of the next step, I did want to, let's see, with water runoff, just to put things into perspective, how much would you say with water runoff, like knowing that with climate change and things that are happening, you know, we have less rain altogether. And then when we do get rain, it's like more torrential downpours. And then it's more like flooding and not good rain, <laughs> not nice right. trickling rain that just falls right into the ground. <laughs> right. Um, it creates problems, right? So um, how much do we actually, I don't know if it's per day, per month, per year um, that you would know the stats on, but for runoff, like what are we talking, like just going straight into the ocean? Right. I mean, and that's a, and that's a broad question because as you, as you probably know in Hawaii, rainfall varies greatly. Um, so depending on where you're located, um, the average rainfall could be anything from less than five inches per year to over 100, right? Um, but somewhere in the average, you know, roughly between, you know, 40, maybe 40 or so, 40, 50 inches of rain per year around that middle belt of the island, a middle belt around the islands. Um, you know, if, if you look at an average house, that could produce quite a bit amount of rainwater or stormwater per year, you know, you know maybe 20 to 50,000 gallons coming off of a single family home. And so um, what's interesting you know, we're not quite talking about the app yet, but one of the things that we found um, when using the app with with um, with residential folks as well as commercial properties, um, people were just you know flabbergasted by how much stormwater they are actually producing. They didn't they don't realize. I think a lot of people don't realize actually their contribution to the problem, but also importantly, how it could also be an asset to them. So let's say if you were to capture that off of your property and put it into a rainwater catchment tank. And we have a, a an event that maybe shuts off for a water supply. You would then have a supply to get you through that disaster without having to run to Costco and get all the remaining water bottles out of the um, out of the shelves. Um, so anyway, so but yeah, so and a lot of what other a lot of times people don't realize as well is that like over over ninety percent of the stormwater runoff is coming from private property. So we are all part of the of the problem, but we can also all be part of the solution if we worked collaboratively together on it. Awesome. So let's see, what else did I want to dive into here? Um, this. Capturing water. Maybe we can go into capturing water um, and different ways that I guess we do as a state or county, but then also how we can individually as a family or, or a separate entity or whatnot. Okay, I think it'd be yeah. I think it's good to let your um, audience know there. Uh, I would say maybe about two, two to three years ago now, the Hawaii Community Foundation convened um, a group of um, all the department heads of the Department of Water, uh, the Department of Health, large landowners, and they created something called the Freshwater Council that still does exist today. And with that, they came together as a state to, to quantify the volumes of water they would need to either conserve reuse or recharge, meaning getting back into the ground through rain events uh, to, to make sure that we have a water secure future. And so 
that there is a document um, online. It's called uh, it's it's called the Freshwater Initiative um, Blueprint for Hawaii, and that is available on the Hawaii Community Foundation uh, website. But in short, it basically came up with that we need to we need to meet water conservation efforts. We need to be doubling the volume of recycled water across the state. And we also need to get the equivalent of 300 million gallons of, of rain of stormwater back into the ground to support future supply. And so they set the metrics of where um, as a state we need to go. And then from that, um, the different um, Department of Water are, are working in their own counties to see how they can roll that out on a, on a local scale on their own um, islands. And so, um, so we, you know, we have a we have a fantastic leadership team right now who, you know, front at the Board of Water, as well as on some of our um, city departments. And they're actually working together. They formed an ordinance last year called the One Water Ordinance. And what that means is they have now codified that they will all work together in terms of when they do um, think about the future of infrastructure, that they'll work together and, and uh, collaboratively around the water um, resources and water infrastructure. So what that might mean, for example, is you know looking at what future development might look like in some in some areas uh, along the rail future rail you know there might be some collaborations on thinking about how they can promote or help developers to capture um, capture stormwater on site to reuse that for back inside buildings that that supports water conservation that supports reducing flooding that supports you know um, different aspects of um, of even of even ENV in terms of, of sewer capacity issues. So trying to look, look at that water collaboratively is, is also what's going on in our city. Um, and then on an individual scale, you know, I think we're, we're slowly but surely getting there. I should probably back up to that on both on the state level and on the city level, uh, the plumbing codes have been adopted that um, allow for non-potable reuse back in buildings. So what that means is we, we get our water generally from Board of Water here on the island or here on Oahu. Um, but we also have lots of water supply all around us, you know, from our own buildings, right? We have, we have water coming again from stormwater runoff from the building roofs, let's say. We have, um, if you have a commercial building with an HVAC system that's going to produce quite a bit of condensate, that's basically when pipes sweat, um, which is a very clean water. You also will then produce what's called gray water, which could be things from your um, bathroom sinks or laundry um, and th that can be treated and reused. And then of course, there's the whole gambit of, of black water and that also there's now technology to be treated and reused. So what the plumbing codes are now saying, and those are all non-potable water sources, is that you can then use that water for things like flushing toilets, things like if you have a, um, a big HVAC system, cooling tower, makeup water, fire suppression, and of course, irrigation water features. So it opens the door to um, how we can be more strategic um, on, on using these other water resources that otherwise we put into pipes and, and waste, essentially. Um, so, there, so building out those kind of regulations and, um, and, and leadership to start getting these things off the ground is mostly you know, set for the commercial buildings and, um, or, or mixed development that's going to be going on along the rail. But... Um, certainly, eventually, it's gonna. There will be more incentives. I, I I think that will happen over the years to also then get back into individual residential properties as well. So, since we're talking about the water capture and um, gray water, black water, whatnot, um, and at the end of the day, it all ends up going back into the ocean if we don't actually capture it. Um, when the water comes in, let's say off, you know, because a family will produce a certain amount of water that is no good, quote unquote, anymore, right? Mm -hmm. um, and then it goes somewhere and then it gets treated. And when that treatment is done, it just basically gets dumped back into the ocean. We do have some recycling going on um, at the Hanauli Uli uh, treatment plant, but the Sand Island plant that gets about 60 to, I want to say 60 or 80 million gallons per day, it's all going into the ocean. So um, treated, but partially treated into the ocean. Um, Where does it, like how far yeah. off the ocean, I mean, off the shore in the ocean is it going? And I mean, how treated is it? Is it okay for the ocean or? 
Um, I mean, that's a loaded question. I, you know, there's been a lot of issues with, with Sand Island in the past. Um, it is under what's called an EPA consent decree at the moment, um, which it means that the, the EPA recognized that it wasn't functioning at, up to the standards of, of federal law. And so what it did is it put the city um, um, up against a, a legal issue where they, of fines if they didn't act in a certain timeline to get upgrades happening. So what's been happening, I want to say this has been going on now for at least a decade or longer, is that the city is under a strict timeline to upgrade its sewer pipes as well as eventually upgrade Sand Island itself. Um, the sad part about it, and this is also, you know, I don't want to divert the conversation, but because um, they're under this, you know, um, timeline to get things done, it doesn't allow for really any innovation in the space because they they have to meet certain deadlines at a certain time. It's it's codified that these pipes have to be a certain size in a certain location, and so because the reality is is that the future, really where wastewater has been going, is is to be more decentralized. Instead of putting all of your wastewater into a central treatment plant like Sand Island. That's that's in an area that could could you know be susceptible to storms, tsunamis, and what have you. The idea is to build more resiliency, is to decentralize your wastewater treatment because the treatment can now get to a really high quality for reuse, and then your end users, you're much closer to your end users to reuse that water instead of trying to pump it all the way back uphill. Um, so so um, there's. The issues of trying to get to that space now in Honolulu, it makes it more challenging now that they're in this consent decree. Um, and where it outfalls, I'm not sure, but I want to say it's, it's it's definitely fairly far out. It's probably about, a, I would say it might be a mile offshore. It's it's not like it's right in the coastal waters of Waikiki. Um, but um, certainly with it, you know, it, it can be carrying, you know, nutrients, but it is a big ocean out there. The old school mentality has always been like the solution to pollution is dilution. I'm not a person to say that that's a good way of thinking, um, but certainly um, it did pass at least, you know, its environmental impact um, at the time uh, regulations. So I don't personally know, follow it in detail in terms of water quality and outfall that give you a real solid answer on that. But. So with the, um, but the water that comes out, like, would that be like gray water or is it like at what level is it like is it water that we would actually be able to use if we were able to pump it out or like you said divert it beforehand to different neighborhoods or whatnot therefore not waste it right and is it going into the ocean right part of the yeah so it, it to my knowledge is it doesn't meet um, recycled water quality as it stands now um, they did talk about at one time to upgrade the treatment plant so that it could. But again, if you can think about with all the all the urbanization we already have all around that plant, and then the cost to um, pump uphill to, and the question is then where would it go? Um, it makes it more challenging to invest in 100% recycled water at Sand Island itself. Mm -hmm. um, the strategy is looking more at what can new or redevelopments do to, to capture and treat on site and reuse it on their own property? And then less water ends up getting diverted to less that. water goes to Sand Island, right? So it can it would be there more or less as a as a backup, but we wouldn't add additional capacity to it. We would start thinking about new or redevelopment again, having more of a is really kind of the trend all. Sorry, could you repeat that last line? Sure. I was just going to say, like distributed water infrastructure is 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 definitely the trend all across the globe. Whether that be for wastewater treatment or stormwater capture, it's the idea of not putting all your eggs in one basket. Um, and this is how you build resiliency, right? You you diversify. You have more um, options, and you also then decrease the energy you need to move that water, which is a whole other topic, but also important is called the water energy nexus. So you need to know that actually for every uh, every thousand gallons, there's actually energy associated with moving that water from out of the ground um, into the pipes, and then ultimately through our treatment systems and pumping stations. So um, I, I can't remember the the value of kilowatt hours 
off the top of my head right now, but there is another report that was done by the Water State um, Water Commission that also um, outlined what those values are in terms of how water conservation also means energy conservation. Mm -hmm. Okay, I'll look that up too. That's an interesting figure to know. Uh, let's see. I wanted to dive into ag land and farming. I think that food security is a huge one here and we import like 90% of most everything <laughs> and food included. And because of that, I think more and more our state is trying to become more resilient with our food system as well. And hand in hand is water and to um, be able to grow to the capacity that we're looking at in order for us to, to legitimately grow enough food here for our people, this would require a, an obscene amount, I mean, just so much water that we probably don't have at the moment. Well, we have it, but it's not treated or done. It's just going into the ocean at this point. So, um, you know, the more and more I talk to people, in on the real estate front, I mean, I'm getting more calls about farmland, about, you know, you know, what can I buy? I want to live on a property. I want to farm. I want to, you know, do these types of things. And then a lot of land actually has no water rights or, and it's ag land, right? And there's all these hurdles that you're, that farmers are dealing with. Um, the cost of it's too high. You know, we're, there's just a lot of different things that we end up tackling and at the end of the day do we have enough water for this i guess is or to be able to provide water for our plants so maybe you can help a little bit on that area and if there's other places like california who deal with this for i don't know decades right um what other places are doing and how we can um try to meet the goals so we can actually execute this yeah, no, that's a and that's a big question. Okay, so you, you hit the nail that had water rights is is a huge deal. Um, and you know we don't we're we're lucky in Hawaii that um, we don't operate on some of those same laws as places like California and water in the West. Um, there, those water rights go back you know hundreds of years with a, with a deed, and your property is basically not valued unless it actually comes with a right to water. Um, here in Hawaii, we are lucky that we all have rights to water. That's one of the um, you know things in our that the the Queen left behind is is that you know uh, people will have the first right to all water, and we can talk about the Waiahole case, and that's a whole other conversation. But but as you mentioned, kind of the reality though of today is that you know for example on Oahu um, we we you know you have Central Oahu, which is a lot of where the aglands are, where you know Dole. Has been and um, you know ADC and got some OHA lands up there and some other farmers. Um, if you were to go today to try to put in a well, you would likely get rejected because all of the water has been already allocated. Um, now that being said, um, there are certain um, holders of that water that are just holding; they're they're not actually using that volume, and so it creates conflict. Um, and so it does, you do have to go through a process through the, the water commission to be able to fight, to get that, um, you know, allocated water that's not being used basically for, for you to be able to use it on your farm. So the issue on Oahu to get uh, a well drilled can be problematic for large farmers. Um, and so the, I guess there'd be a couple of things I would suggest. And so we, we did do some work with, with OHA a, a while back ago for their land surrounding Kukani Loco to investigate how they might transition those lands back into regenerative farming as well as um, you know thinking about what water supplies they could they could actually have access to and so some of the key things that came out of that was you know a lot of these lands um, were plantation um, agriculture for so long that the topsoil has been completely stripped and so what that because that becomes a little bit of a double whammy because when it does rain um, the, it basically is not able to hold like a sponge that water. So it either will infiltrate really fast or run off. And so one of the first strategies is actually then to think about rebuilding soil. And then if you can create a healthy topsoil through things like cover.
Sorry, you've cut off. Can you hear me now? Okay, probably the I last like couple sentences, maybe. <laughs> oh, sure. Um, so basically, I was just mentioning that the rent regenerative farming does um, does take more work, but there are some economics behind it, um, and people are coming out that it, that that does make sense. But in essence, what um, the main thing to know is that you have to have healthy soil um, to start with. Um, and because we've used so many chemicals and the tilling, and we've just lost that, that topsoil layer. So by building back a, a healthy topsoil, um, that will then also act as a sponge for when it does rain. And if you create, especially things like um, there's mycelium, which act as a network of, it's basically the, the underground mushroom is a flower, the mycelium is the organism. And, um, and so that helps like uh, transfer nutrients, it helps to absorb water. So building soil is critical. And then the next piece to this is, you know, be smart about what you're, plant what you're planting. Don't, don't plant, plant rice in a desert, right? And this is the problem that California has. California is planting rice and almonds in a desert. And you know what? And they get away with that because of those water rights. They don't wanna let go of the water rights. So they just allocate all this water to these types of crops. Um, so again, here in Hawaii, you know, think about where your rain belt is, think about what appropriate, um, agriculture looks like in your soil type and in your, um, and in your rain belt. And most farmers will know this and then build the soil. And then once you can do that, then you can start thinking what, how many times a year will I need to do irrigation and then start thinking about what supplies um, are possible. But in, in all honesty, like it's going to be a lot more challenging to do to do sustainable large-scale agriculture on Oahu. It might make more sense to look at some of our outer islands where they do get plenty of rainfall um, and don't have, aren't up against a lot of the, the water right issues that we're seeing politically here. Yeah, and I think a real solution is having the state come together, all the counties and islands, breaking down like an actual master plan of who's growing what and where. Um, you know, I'm sure that the neighbor islands don't want the city life. So there's certain things that will remain here in Oahu in that caliber. And I'm sure they would take farming over <laughs> buildings and more yeah, development. Exactly. So, you know, put that to, to use in their lands and um, have things in a way, because right now I feel the counties definitely work on their own accord, less um, together. And I, I just, I hope that, that when it comes to this issue of, you know, water and food that we're working together um, to service everybody um, as a state, you know, and it's, it's hard because we've been so segregated, I feel like separate and with water in between us doesn't help, um, you know, that we've been doing our own thing, but we need each other. So. <laughs> right. Well, this also comes down, I mean, you know, to onto an individual level, certainly the, you know, in the old days, they had the victory farms or, or gardens, right. During world war two, um, where everyone for, you know, some resiliency or, or support of having their own food. And I feel like now, a lot of people are starting to grow their own, you know, have their own gardens and their own food. And that's also a huge step forward, I think. Mm -hmm. um, and so similar to this distributed infrastructure we've been talking about, if we can distribute our food supplies, right? We, mm -hmm. we have our own garden. We have some farms locally that we can rely on for other things to supplement. You know, uh, we really need to work on if we're going to have our own meat supplies, if people want to eat meat here, because that's a whole nother issue. Mm -hmm. um, but that helps with soil, right? It does, right. So, right. In the regenerative farming like, market, you can think about a, 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 like a cooperative, if you will, of different types of, um, of products and even to you know, produce different products and share and, and some of the, the costs associated with farming. Yeah. So uh, I wanted to dive in really quickly on maybe the technology and innovation uh, that you see in this area and what maybe we would be adopting or could possibly adopt. I know that you work on perhaps the neighborhood developments uh, on a maybe smaller scale than working utility wise, uh, but 
it would be neat to hear some some things that either other places are doing that would help us maybe we're not doing it or maybe things that are coming down the pike and i guess that dives into a little bit more on your app and stuff too okay sure yeah so i guess i'll start real quick because uh, wahoo is a, is trying to move forward on what's called a stormwater utility stormwater has never been um, they basically have only relied on property tax to be able to um, you know, do any kind of upgrades or cleaning of the streams or, or do anything really. And so they've never had a secured um, fund that they could actually uh, know that's coming every year and invest in. So what that means is that every property will be given, will be, uh, there'll be a fee based on the amount of, of your impervious cover. So that's your roofs, your driveway, your parking lots. And with that though, the benefit is, is they will provide a credit if you will either physically remove that concrete um, or implement things like rainwater harvesting, you know, maybe replacing your driveway with a permeable surface, um, things like green roofs. So that's, that could also be gardens on your carports and different types of roofs that actually hold the rainwater as well. Uh, rainwater catchment and things called rain gardens, which are really simple systems that, you know, let's say it's coming down your downspout and you just, it, you can basically um, create a depression with a native plants usually. And again, it acts like a little bit of a sponge just to hold that water for a little bit longer than your grass typically would, and then put it into the ground. Um, so what we're doing with, with Free Our Water is we are um, we have a mobile app called Follow the Drop that the city um, is testing right now to be part of the application process for you as a property owner to tap into these solutions. And so what the app does is it identifies where and how much stormwater your property is generating. And then it'll optimize different sizes and types of these types of solutions, things like catchment tanks, rain gardens, permeable pavement, a whole bunch of what uh, the city calls BMP, best management practices. And then there's associated credits based on the size and type systems you select. So then it'll show you how much you would get off your bill. We'll be bringing in the rebate being offered by the Board of Water Supply where, where, for those qualifying practices. And you'll be able to see then um, over time how much money you could save by implementing these projects. And so you would submit them through the app and then on, the city is then able to review your projects. It's a really simple process. And then they can communicate with you directly um, to, to approve your project. Um, and for residential folks, that's basically how the process will work. Commercial properties will still require, you know, putting in, um, you know, licensed engineer drawings and uh, reports, but they will be able to then uh, to track these assets and you as a user then will also be able to track how much stormwater over time you're, you're capturing how much, how much fees, uh, credits you've accumulated over time since you've implemented this project. And so that we can all kind of see our own contribution and also see it, how it benefits the whole. Um, so that, that's basically um, on the stormwater side of things. And yeah, we're really excited. We're, we've been, so uh, what about condos? That's a huge market. Is that go under commercial, I would imagine, and they would have to follow that process? So um, actually, that's an interesting question. I think the way that it's working right now is obviously you would have to go through the homeowners association or condo association, right? So in the in the software right now, it asks you if you are a single family home or um, or a condo. And if you do select a condo, it does say, um, you know, please check with your con condominium association, right? Because you as an individual wouldn't be able to move forward a project. Um, um, in that sense. So it, it's one of those, it depends, but it's sounding like at least right now that it would still qualify itself as a, um, as a single family home, depending on the scale of the condo. If it's a, it's a tall high rise versus, you know, um, a two or three story, they'll have different, I think they're still working out the details for that, but you still could use the app and identify projects um, and be able to see your credits that you would receive. So if a, house or a building like complex like that let's say currently they have green space and then all of a sudden they're putting in another structure or putting in concrete flooring or what have you would that is that something that is added and then it's like somebody's technically assessing every single property right when you start like like how you said, oh, if you remove this and then put in a more permeable, permeable, like, I guess, driveway, then it flies. But what if 
you've been meaning to put in something to begin with, but you haven't done anything and then you end up doing it or, you know, you buy a new property and then you, you got to have something besides just the dirt, right? I guess, do right. you get for all this stuff later or is it just- yeah. all, all property, all properties pay equally. They really wanted to make sure it was, it was fair across the board. Um, so yeah, so if you add, I, I think the, the only size property that doesn't pay is 300 square foot. Um, you know, agricultural shack, let's say. Um, I think that's what that's for. Um, but otherwise, anything above 300 square feet um, is included in the fee. So you won't pay as much if it's a small footprint. You know, it won't be an extraordinary fee or anything. But obviously, the more you have, the more you'll pay. So, you know, the you know, shopping malls, for example, are going to be much larger bill than a single family home because they have acres of tens of acres of, of parking lots and roof space. And so their bill is going to be, you know, definitely a factor of 10 or hundred more than um, a residential property. And so this fee is completely separate than the usage of what we are charged. So like when we use a certain amount of water, we are charged a certain amount per usage. And then there's sewer fees that we have. And this would be an additional charge that would be based off of your, what interior square footage of your home? Is that uh, right? External, external, external. So, you're, so it would be your building footprint. Oh, the lot itself that you have. Right, so it'd be the, your building footprint as well as you know, you know, any hardscape like your driveways or parking lots. Your, your non-concrete areas like lawns and so forth aren't gonna be charged. So again, like kind of- So if it, there's a permit for whatever, then that's what's pulled. Um, it's it's whatever's built. So they have LIDAR data of that they can see um, hardscape over all properties across the mm. island. Um, and so obviously that's going to be, uh, the, the updating of that will need to happen on a regular basis because people are constantly remodeling and doing things to their houses, right? Um, but, but just kind of going back just to the principle of all of this, I mean, you know, we, we pay for a service for Board of Water Supply to get the water out of the ground, to be, have it be clean, to get it to our faucets. We pay typically, you know, most residents are hooked up to the sewer system. We're paying for that water. Um, and that's why we actually, why we're paying more is because of that EPA consent decree. If you noticed, we added that $100 flat fee-ish late, um, you know, I can't remember how long ago, probably about 10 years ago. And that's because they have to upgrade their treatment systems and run their treatment plant. And so stormwater, as we talked about earlier, with all this impervious area, there's so much more pollution coming off of our lands. And the main thing is, is they don't, you don't want the EPA to fine the city um, to trap them again, because our stormwater is now not meeting federal water quality rules. Mm -hmm. And what this whole thing is, is about is, is they know that, and with flooding and climate change, they know we need to upgrade the infrastructure. And so recognizing that storm stormwater management is also a service that the city is providing. And so the whole idea is, is they want to make sure though that people have um, solutions so that they can we can all be in this together. So if everyone can just do their own little bit of capturing it on property, it adds up significantly because as I mentioned before, over 90% of the runoff is coming from private property. So we can't rely on the city just to have build a big pond down at the Alawai and everything's gonna be fine. We really need to start thinking about, um, you know, pockets of, of, of sponges all up our urbanized areas. Um, so, so, yeah, I mean, I see what, I mean, I guess I'm trying to think of how is this different than our sewer fees? Um, well, because the sewer, the wastewater, again, goes into a pipe to, in, in Honolulu, it would be Sand Island, right, or to wastewater treatment plant. The, the right now, this, this, the storm sewer is separate. It doesn't go into that pipe. So this is not meant to go into that pipe. Um, and so, uh, so when it rains, it's going into a separate storm sewer, a separate drain system. And again, they this use- This is just the, rainfall that comes down, hits our- Yeah, stormwater, right. And then floods out into the streets and then goes into the water. Okay. Goes into pipes. We have piped, we have a piped stormwater network. All the manholes, all the- Yep, and then that goes into our streams, and then they're responsible for you know making sure that's also part of what the fee is going to be used. They haven't had enough in, enough regular money to get regular cleaning of the streams, and that's super important, um, especially in, in flood prevention. Um, so a lot of this is really just about giving them a, a, a known amount of money that they're going to get every year um, to run a program, 
And actually part of that program is gonna be giving grants back out into the community to do more of these green infrastructure projects, like things like rain gardens. Sounds and so very similar to mm -hmm. Vi when I was talking to Stuart, they're looking at also creating another fee for people who have not converted their cesspools yet, because all of that runoff, which is basically raw sewage, just gets dumped into the storm drain water or whatever, right? The runoff that we get. Um, and Let's hope cesspools are running off. They don't have they a do sewer <laughs> pipe, and they're they're not paying anything, right? They're mm -hmm. contributing to the pollution of our water and going into the ocean, and. I don't know, maybe that should be like a a combo deal or something like that. Yeah, well, I mean, it's, it's separate, but it, I do I do agree with Stuart that, um, well, I think number one, they just really need to put in place that if you're going to do any kind of a remodeling to a specific significant degree or when you sell the house, the cesspool needs to be converted. I think that's really the only way forward. Unfortunately, that does put a burden on the property owner and potential buyer but that we really do need to get conversion going. Um, but the fee part, I, I also understand that's a whole nother road ahead. Um, probably that needs to come from a state level because it's a state issue more than a city level issue. Yeah, interesting. All right, well, we are at our one hour marker. I wanna see if I have some things here that we haven't covered. Um, Perhaps we can chat real quickly about ways that we as individuals or nonprofits or um, businesses maybe could contribute to the community in, in the measures of you know, fresh water, helping out in different ways. If there's volunteer opportunities, if there's um, things that we can, like our Eco Rotary Club of Kakako, for example, we work with um, the, the, there's this little tiny 11,000 square foot uh, ocean friendly Kakako community garden that was created a few years ago. And um, Mike Davis and some other friends and Surfrider Foundation, they really help upkeep this cute little park in the middle of you know, a concrete jungle. Um, and it's called an ocean friendly restaurant. I mean, restaurant. it's called an ocean friendly. Uh, it uh, sounds weird because it's not on the ocean, but it's called an ocean friendly garden because it captures rainwater and diverts it from going into the ocean and polluting our oceans. So this is kind of a concept that I think you're referring to on ways that we can you know, create in our communities. Um, so that's that's one thing that I know that we do, but what are some other things that maybe people or organizations or even businesses that want to volunteer as a whole, like that they can do? Sure, that's a great question. I There's, all, there's always incredible, um, you know, watershed nonprofits um, in, your, in, your, in your local areas. And so I would definitely connect with them. One, one shout out I would like to say is we are working through our water in the follow the drop app. Um, we are working with Malama Manolua in East Honolulu. So that's from Kahala to Hawaii Kai. And they will be offering free stormwater assessments for um, both residential and commercial properties from now until in the next three to six months. So I'd really recommend if anyone's listening in and wants to um, have access, early access to the app um, and, and get your house assessed for ability to capture stormwater. Um, to contact um, Malama Mamalua. And that being said, what we're trying to do is work a lot with these watershed nonprofits who will go in and support communities uh, to identify um, what green infrastructure or projects they can put in. And then later we can have, they, will, they can be the entities to, to go for grants or even potentially receive some of that city money that'll be allocated through the utility to get these projects installed. So if you, um, you know, are interested in maybe getting, being an early bird and wanting to get maybe a project in the books, um, there's these nonprofit groups are gonna uh, try to get some of these projects funded depending on where you're located. Um, so down the line, I think there's gonna be a lot of opportunities for um, businesses to get involved and work with these, these watershed nonprofits like Malama Manalua. Um, there's, there's a bunch in the Alawai. Um, and so I would say stay tuned because I think there's gonna be a lot more projects to, to support and be, be a part of. And then in the meantime, I know it's tough 
maybe to here, there's a new fee, but it's really important. I would say, please support the stormwater utility. It's a huge deal for really for our island to um, build climate resiliency and really get to where we need to go to reduce flooding and pollution in the future, so. Awesome. So before we wrap up, I wanted you to let everybody know how to reach you specifically um, and maybe the websites that you have if people want to check you out. Sure. Um, so for the, the 3R Water, which is the mobile app that we talked about, it's, um, it's 3r-water.com. And then Roth Ecological Design, that's my design consultancy company. It's Roth, R-O-T-H, ecological.com. So we'd love to hear from you and um, happy to answer more questions offline. Awesome. Um, I think that wraps everything up and that's all the time we have. We are running short. Thank you so much, Lauren, for being here today and chatting with us. Um, and don't forget to also subscribe to our podcast at www.smartlivinghi.org. Uh, you could also follow us on Instagram at, at smart underscore living underscore Hawaii and like us on Facebook. Mahalo and until next time, live smart. Thank you.